Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. And um, I actually want to kind of, I want to give you a second part to where we started last week. Um, Last week we ministered a message called Choose Your Battles. So this will be Choose Your Battles Part 2, Volume 2, if you will. And, um, you know, as we enter this new year, we transition into new things, the newness of the Lord, the freshness. And I pray that, you know, in these last, you know, 11, 12 days that you have taken some time at some point, some opportunity to just get yourself before the Lord to give you, to give him your focus, your attention in your year. Amen. And um, we we began talking about the subject of choosing your battles, first off discovering that battles um, are not always an indicator of loss or an indicator of uh, doing something wrong. A lot of times battles can even be an indication that you're right where you're supposed to be. Amen? And I want that to be a word for somebody today, that you're right where you are supposed to be. You're doing exactly what God called you do, to do. You are in his steps. You are uh, in uh, the place that he's assigned you. Um, and we'll see that even from a young man today. Uh, that um, battles come uh, many times because we either bring them on ourselves or because we are right where God wants us to be. And there's someone that wants to stop you, someone that wants to stop the plan of God on your life. Last week, we saw that there's three keys to seeing victory and to seeing success this year. They're not all inclusive, of course, but three keys that we looked at for 2020. We saw number one is preparation. We need to be prepared. Amen? You got to be prepared. You never want to go into battle. You never want to fight unprepared. Preparation is key. And, uh, you know, again, preparation is that season. It's not actually the fight. Um, So it can seem like a waste and it can seem dull and it can seem boring. Uh, You know, practice, nobody, you know, ever really enjoys practice or, uh, you know, preparation. But you sure do uh, rely on it when you get in a moment and in a season where it's needed. Amen. And number two, we saw... Uh, that we're going to have to make sure we surround ourselves with the right people, the right people. You're going to have to be prepared, but you're also going to have to make sure you are have the, you're in the right company, you're in the right group, you got the right people around you. You want people that are going to be led by the Spirit. You're going to want people uh, that know how to speak the Word. You're going to want people that know how to tell you not just what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. Amen. The company you keep can make or break your victory sometimes. And so we saw with King Jehoshaphat there uh, uh, where we were looking last week uh, that it was because he got a word from the Lord from someone around him, somebody near him, somebody close to him. And, uh, you know, we are all about, uh, you know, being inclusive and we're all about reaching people, reaching the lost, reaching those that are far from Christ. But man, when you're going through a test and you're going through a struggle, you want people around you that are going to help you see the victory. Amen. And you don't want people that are going to help you wallow and sympathize and be stuck in your mess. You're going to want some, someone that's going to pull you out. Amen. And then thirdly, we saw, uh, the third key is our position. They were instructed to take position, but the, 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 the instruction didn't look like a position of victory. Uh, the, the, the king and his army were instructed to send out the worshipers in advance. They were instructed to fall on their face. They were instructed to lift up their hands. They were instructed to praise and to worship God. And none of those look like a position that will bring you victory. 
In fact, those are actually positions of vulnerability. But we recognize, we saw that many times it's your position of your greatest vulnerability that will bring you and yield to you your greatest victories. And so being in position is key. I mean, any, any athlete can tell you that your position is important. It's priority. And you need to learn your position. You need to know where you need to be to what? Gain the greatest advantage. Uh, last week, I, was, I used the example of a basketball player, and no one here was able to help me out uh, with the analogy I used. But uh, fortunately, my son is playing basketball now, and so I learned on Wednesday, he learned how to box out. The very thing I was just teaching you uh, on Sunday, he learned in a basketball practice of how to get himself in position between the goal and his defender or the person he's trying to keep the ball away from. And if you're out of position, you don't have the advantage. And so you need to know what position the Lord wants you to be in this year. That is your greatest advantage. Amen? And so we've got to know, we've got to be prepared. We've got to have the right people, and we have to take position. Look at this in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And um, again, choose your battles Part two, but if I gave this uh, uh, message a specific title, it would be this. Four battles you can't fight. Four battles you can't fight. You know, when we use the statement, choose your battles, uh, we typically are, you know, alluding to the fact that you can't fight every battle that comes at you, right? I mean, my wife and I have to learn which battles to choose with our son. I can't fight every battle. I can't fight the what time you go to bed battle and did you brush your teeth battle and, and, and you know, what'd you do at school today? You know, you just have to start choosing your battles a little bit. You have to start finding out what's important and what's valuable and what uh, uh, is going, what, if you expend your energy on the wrong battle, you won't have it for the right battle. Are you hearing me? So you're going to have to get choosy this year. You're going to have to get, uh, you're going to have to start to categorize some things this year. You're going to have to start to identify that every challenge that comes my way, I can't give that my, my attention, my focus, my energy. I'm going to have to withhold some things because there's a greater battle, a bigger picture up ahead. 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 48, so it was when the Philistine arose and came and uh, drew, I want to read this in the New Living actually, as Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him, reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground, so David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over, pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath. David used it to kill him and cut off his head. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they turned and ran. Victory. Now, I mean, you know, probably 98% of you in this room knew how this story ended, didn't you? You know the story of David and Goliath. You've known it uh, since they put it on a flannel graph in, in uh, you know, children's church in Sunday school. When you remember those, those things that they'd stick up there and it was like magic, man. How does cloth stick to cloth? That's just unbelievable how they made that work. There's no Velcro on the back of that thing. That thing literally just, they paste it right up there, you know? They got Goliath with his big shield and his big sword. And then they've got David, little shepherd boy. You know, he's got his, his sling and his stones. And you got little sheep. And, 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 and you've got the, the, the little, you know, atmosphere things that they put there to show you the, the, the mountains and the valleys and, you know, really, you know, get you in there. And the, the, the teacher sits on her chair and she just puts them up one at a time. And everybody's sitting on the edge of their seat. What's the next one? 
one that's going up, you know? How are we going to finish this story? I mean, they were good at that stuff. We need to bring back the flannel. Forget PowerPoint, forget ProPresenter, forget videos and all this. Bring back the flannel graphs. That's what I want to see. I'm ordering some of that stuff for our kids. And they will, they, I promise you, they will go head over heels and be like, what is that? I have no idea that thing's like 150 years old. Amen. But I obviously took you to the end of the story because like I just said, when you know the end of something, then you treat the process a little differently. But what you have to remember is in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 1, David doesn't know that there's a 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 48, and 49, and 50, and 51. He doesn't know in verse 1 what, how it ends. But here's what happens. Because you and I know how it ends, guess what we do? We tend to overlook the, some of the details. We tend to overlook the process. One movie that I absolutely love And it doesn't matter how many times I watch it. I'm on the edge of my seat as if I don't know what's going to happen. Not very many movies do that for me. But one movie does that for me every time I watch it. It's Cinderella Man. Anybody watch Cinderella? I mean, I don't know if it's the music or just the way they, I don't know what's going to happen to Russell Crowe every single time he faces that guy in the ring. He's got a broken rib. He's got a broken hand. I mean, all this stuff's happening. I'm like, well, you know, is he going to win? But not very many movies do that because I've seen them. I know how it ends. I know what's going to happen. There's even some movies where I, I, I know who makes the movie and I know how they typically end the movie. And so even though I might be seeing a movie for the first time, I know it's not over until such and such happens. You, you begin to look for indicators of when the end. But what is going on in the process? Because I want to tell you something. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 48 is not the first battle David fights. And so I want to walk you through the battle before the battle, the battles before the battle, because if I lose the battle leading up to the battle, I never make it to the battle. I never fight the battle. I won't see the victory. We won't have a, 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 a stone sunk into Goliath's head. We won't have the sword, his own sword chopping off his own. We won't have those uh, uh, details of the end because we didn't do what needed to be done leading up to that. So let's go to the first battle and it's found in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 17. Remember, 48 through uh, 51 that we just read all hinges on what happens in the rest of the chapter. It took us 48 verses to get to the main battle, to get to the end of the story. But in verse 17, it says this, one day Jesse said to David, Jesse is David's father. And he says to David, take this basket of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers and give these 10 cuts of cheeses to their captain. See how your brothers are getting long and bring back a report on how they are doing. David's brothers were with Saul and the Israelite army at the Valley of Elah, fighting against the Philistines. Now, that might sound like a simple task. That might sound like a simple assignment, but you really have to even go back to the chapter prior to that to get the full context that David has just been anointed the next king of Israel. David has received, just like what we said with Joseph, the ending, the calling, the, the, the power, and even the anointing to fulfill that task. Not only that, but that happened, that act took place in front of his dad and in front of his brothers. They were all there to witness David 
being anointed by the prophet Samuel. They were all there to witness. They saw the oil poured on his head, dripping down his head, all the way down to the bottom. They saw the, uh, the, uh, the anointing oil. They heard the words that Samuel, the prophet, spoke, and they knew that this was a prophet of God, a man of God. They knew what was going to happen. So the first battle David fights is this idea that now I have this great calling and this great purpose and this great assignment on my life, but now I'm having to carry that out through menial tasks. Because this is what happens is many times your calling, your your purpose is packaged in the mundane rather than the miraculous. Your purpose is packaged in the little things. I know that we want to walk off of the field, walk out of the house with the anointing oil still dripping off of our head and immediately start doing the great things for God, the big assignments. This does not sound like a chore God, a mission that, a, this sounds more like a chore that a little teenage boy would fulfill. I mean, that's, that's about the age that they expect David to be, anywhere from 14 to 17 years old at this point. Not just a shepherd boy, a, a, a young teenage boy, still in his father's house. And now with for be the anointed king of Israel to, to replace a king, to be the anointed king of Israel to lead God to your brothers who are fighting a battle. That he has to contend with is this idea of, of feeling undervalued, feeling undermined, feeling unnoticed, like do you not just remember what happened a few days ago? Do you, were you, you were there. You heard what the prophet said. You were there. You saw the oil. You, you saw this act take place. And now we have to walk out with a great assignment and a great purpose. We have to walk that out with small, menial, mundane, routine, familiar tasks. He's, he's being sent as an errand boy to his brothers, which also happened to be the ones that were all overlooked. How do, you, how do you serve people? How do you serve others? How knowing what God's placed on your life? Remain in a posture, even knowing your assignment and even knowing what God's placed on your life. How do you keep yourself in a posture he could have easily, think about this. I mean, give any teenager a parenting conference or something. Ask. I mean, Jesse ought to be doing like a parenting conference or something. How did he get a teenager? Because it actually says this. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early. What teenager is doing anything early in the morning? <laughs> I got any teenagers I can bear witness that I'm not up? I got any teenage parents that want to bear witness? I, I mean, you know, think of, think of the postures, think of the, the actions, think of the responses David could have had in this moment. All leading up to what we know how the story ends. We know how this thing closes out. But, but, but how do you remain in a posture submitted to the call of God? Keep doing what you're doing. In fact, it says that when uh, he left his father's house from being anointed, he went right back out into the pasture with the sheep. Is what I encourage, you know, mostly college students or those within that age range all the time. I try to encourage them, but it's a great word for all of us. If you don't know what to do next, keep doing what you're doing now. Many times we spend so much time and so much effort and so much energy going after what's next that we abandon what we're doing now. So the principle is, 
that now there's a contention. Now there's a conflicting, there's a, a, a conflict going on inside of me because I know God's assigned this on my life, but yet I'm still doing this. I'm still take caring, taking care of sheep and watching the pasture and I'm stuck at home while all my other brothers that were overlooked are out fighting this battle. Now here I am. And now on top of all that, you want me to be just a simple errand boy serving those that were overlooked, serving those that didn't get picked, serving those that didn't have this great anointing and this great assignment. The anointing of God and and the empowering of God does not come on your life to make you greater than anybody else. It actually comes upon your life to make others greater than yourself. If the anointing is on your life only to serve you, you don't have his anointing. The greatest evidence of anointing in someone's life is those around them are greater. Those around them are stronger. Those around them are served. Those around them are better. People ought to be better because they know you and because there's anointing on your life. In the kingdom of God, leadership is upside down. Jesus came and presented that to us. He said, I did not come as a a king to rule and reign, I came as a suffering servant. To be the greatest, you have to become the least. How do you become the greatest in the kingdom? Become the least of these. And he actually points to children and says, if you'll become like these, you'll become the greatest in the kingdom of God. So we see the first conflict. We see the first contention that many times our purpose comes packaged in the mundane. It comes packaged in the familiar. It's packaged in doing what you have been doing. It comes packaged in the, 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 the stuff that you are familiar with. You already know, I, I, I've got this down, God. What's the next big thing? What's the next great thing? I don't ever wanna become so familiar with the task that he's placed on my life that I can't fulfill them to, my, to the greatest of my ability. It's not what you do, it's how you do it. Amen. And while we're waiting on the real assignment, you're passing up opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to serve others. And so we jump on down to verse 28. David rises early the next morning. He's even got his responsibilities back at home watching the sheep. He's got that covered. Someone's watching them, has an attendant, has a servant uh, fulfilling that role. He doesn't abandon one to move on to the next. Amen. I said, you don't abandon one task to move on to the next task. You make sure that stuff's covered. If I'm not literally doing it myself, then I've got someone assigned that can do it in my place, in my stead, and do it just as well as I could. Now he shows up at the battlefield and, uh, you know, not much of a battle taking place, not much of a fight going on. He comes to find a bunch of Israelites scared, fearful, hiding out, and he's like, what's going on? And then he hears Goliath. He hears Goliath taunting, chanting, bring out your, your strongest man to come fight me. If he's able to beat me, we'll become your slaves. If I beat him, you become our slaves. Pretty simple. I am the champion. Bring someone out. And he hears this going on, and he's like, what in the world? And so he confronts the men, confronts the army. Why aren't you going out and fighting? What's going on? Do you not hear that he's not just taunting you? He's taunting our God. He's taunting our Lord. We got to do something about this. But now his older brother, in verse 28, speaks up and says this, now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? Again, Eliab was there when David was anointed. If anything, you think Eliab would be like, man, this is it. 
This is why you were anointed. We were there when you were anointed. Guys, this is the man. This is the one that can help conquer this giant. This is the one. But instead, Eliab gets angry, jealous, becomes angry with David, and he says, what are you even doing out here? Why are you even here? Did you just come here to see a fight? Did you just come here to be a spectator? Did you just come here to watch a show? Did you tell dad, hey, I need to take meat and cheese, uh, bread and cheese out to my brothers, but really you were just trying to trick him so you could get out to the battle because you were feeling inferior and feeling like you were just at home doing nothing? Why are you even here? And now David is at war with his own family. I mean, not only is Eliab an Israelite and they ought to be fighting together against this giant. Isn't that just what the enemy wants you to do is he'll, he will have you look, look, we know the back of the book. You know how the story ends. You know how this winds up. He's defeated. He ends up with a chain around his neck for a thousand years. You and I are victorious. Our king returns as a victorious king to receive his saints back to him. We know how this thing closes out. And the enemy does too. But I figured one thing out about the devil. When he knows he can't defeat you, he will distract you. When he knows he can't take you out, he'll just make sure you don't take him out. When he knows that he doesn't have an answer for the power of God that's inside of you, he'll keep you from using it. And now he is trying to distract. Look, you you see all these things that are set up because David has a bigger fight on his hands. David's about to take on a literal giant. David's about to take on an enemy greater than anything he's ever taken on in his life. And now the enemy's trying to distract him. And now the enemy is turning his own family against him. And that's what the enemy will try to do to you. He will try to get you to wage war against those that are closest to you. You'll find yourself at war and at odds with your own family members Co-workers, employers, employees, it's all a distraction. Don't buy into it. Don't allow the enemy to trick you and bring you into distraction and into a, a mode where you end up expending all of your energy on, a, on someone that you're supposed to be fighting with, like as in fighting for, fighting together. And that's what he'll do. He'll cause you to have doubts. He'll, have, he'll cause you to have thoughts. He'll cause you to have uh, 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 things going on. I mean, think about the offense that David could be taking on right now. Think about what could be going on in David's heart. Forget about what's going on in David's hand. Think about what could be going on in David's heart that would keep him from remaining in a posture that he could fight this enemy. Fight this giant. Fight Goliath. He's distracted, or he could be. Eliab goes on to say, I know your pride. I know the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. You just come down here to watch. You just come down here to spectate. You just come down here to to, to see what's going on. Questioning his attitude questioning his motives, questioning his intentions, questioning uh, uh, all the things on the inside of David. And offenses could rise, challenges could rise, and before he even makes it to Goliath, he's already having to fight battles. He's already having to wage war. Now you move down a little further. King Saul gets wind that this shepherd boy has shown up. King Saul gets wind that somebody has shown up on the battlefield ready to go out and conquer Goliath, to fight him. I mean, we've already waited about 40 days for somebody to step up and say, I mean, if anything, King Saul should have been that guy. To say, you know what, I'll challenge him. King Saul actually was a great warrior. 
He had a pretty strong resume when it came to battles. He knew how to fight. He knew how to win. He knew how to be victorious. And the only reason he's in the problem he's having is not because of his ability, but because of his unavailability. Not because he's unable, but because he's unavailable. Because he wants to do things his way. Because his agenda is priority over God's agenda. His plan is, is uh, uh, more important than God's plan. And the people are more important to him than God. And so he has worked himself out of a job. King Saul has done everything to, to tell God, you are no longer the candidate. You are no longer qualified to serve as king over my people. And so God told him, We're removing, I'm removing the kingdom from you. And I'm going to give it to another man. And this is that man. And so now he's going to go uh, uh, be ushered in, be called in by King Saul. And in verse 33, David says this, don't worry about this Philistine. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. I mean, you know, the second you step out to do something great for God, here come the doubters. Here come the naysayers. And, and again, you're having to keep in the back of your mind that David is replacing this guy. David's actually been assigned to take over King Saul's role. He said, there's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy. I, I, I think some people, I think some of us are gonna have to contend with that word only. The enemy loves to tell you what you only are. You're only this and you're only that. He wants to limit you to what you're capable of doing. He wants to limit you by your experience. He wants to limit you by your credentials. He wants to limit you by your, your status. He wants to limit you by your relationships. You, he wants to limit you by any means possible. God will never tell you only. God will never tell you you're only. You're only this. You're only that God is always breaking the barriers off. God is always trying to stretch the limitations. God's always trying to get you be. If you ever get a word that says, well, I'm only this, that's not from God. You can immediately rebuke that. You can immediately put that aside. That is not God speaking to you. The enemy wants to tell you you're only. God wants to tell you you're more than. There's a difference. You got to learn this year to discern the voice of God, to discern when God is speaking, when, to discern when it's a word from God and when it's not. He shows up and he says, you're only a boy. He's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted, I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. His resume is not as exciting as Saul's, by the way. Saul can come in and say, man, I've defeated the Amalekites. I've defeated this group. I've defeated that group. We tore down this nation. We went after these people. I mean, he's got the resume. Imagine David reading off his resume to King Saul. Listen to this. Uh, I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. And when a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. Yeah. You didn't know all that time in the pasture, all that time in obscurity, all that time when nobody was watching, all that time when no one noticed. I mean, nobody knew these stories. Nobody would have believed them anyways. Small little shepherd boy, you know, beating up a bear, tearing the jaw off of a lion. Are you, yeah, okay, David. But now he's calling, to, calling back all of God's faithfulness, calling back all of the times where God saw him through, all the times that he fought. And even though his resume not, may not sound like King Saul's resume, even though it may not have the same oomph behind it, 
He's using it. I would catch it by the jaw, club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it again to this pagan Philistine too. For he has defied the armies of the living God. Who was with David was greater than who was against him. Who was with David was greater than what was against him. Man, you're gonna have to have that this year. In 2020, you're gonna have to know who's with you and you're gonna have to know that who's with you is greater than what's against you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. But now in our third scenario, think about what David's having to contend with. Identity, purpose, I'm telling you, there are, there are contentions in our life. And all along, David is having to choose to not extend any effort or any, any energy towards. He's having to make the choice. He's having to make the choice. I've got a bigger battle ahead of me. I've got a bigger assignment before me. God has got a greater calling. I'm telling you right now, the battle, the, 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 the fight, the purpose that God has placed on your life is greater than all these little things that are coming against you. But if the enemy can distract you, he can defeat you. If the enemy can get you to focus and put energy and effort, he knows that when you get to the real test and to the real battle, you won't have any energy to bring against him. Are you with me? I, this stuff, you have to decide it's not worth my time. It's not worth my effort. It's not worth my energy. And then from there, King Saul, it says, Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead. And may the Lord be with you. And then Saul goes, uh, he grabs his own armor, gives it to David, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things. The New King James says he had never tested these things. Man, you got to be careful because you can't fulfill God's assignment on your life with someone else's stuff. The purpose that God has placed on your life, the assignment he's placed on your life, he will protect you. He will supply you. He will resource you. But so many times, the, one of the first things we do is we start looking around at what other people are doing that are going through what we've been through. Now, I'm not saying that's wrong, but I'm telling you that you've got to listen to the voice of God for what he's telling you to do. Because God may have you handle a situation completely different from the way someone else handled it. I mean, for me as a pastor, you know, uh, for us pastoring this church, there's all kinds of places, all kinds of options, all kinds of resources out there that can tell you how to do this. They give you all the natural uh, uh, statistics. They'll give you, you know, all the numbers. They'll give you all the natural resources. If you print this and if you do this and you blog that and you video this and, and you, you hold this and you do this and you have this kind of group and you have that. And, and then this is what causes your church to grow. Let me tell you what causes churches to grow. Obedience to the word of God. Obedience to the direction of the Holy Spirit. And it's not that any of it is wrong. I don't categorize it as right and wrong. I categorize it as that's what he told you to do. He hasn't directed us to do that. We're gonna do what God directs us to do. And whether it puts seats in the chairs or not is not my problem. That's not my issue. I'm gonna follow what the Lord says. And there's all kinds of natural resources I mean, David is relying on a natural resource, a stone and a sling. And you can't be moved if your resources seem to be 
uh, uh, inferior to someone else's. You know, I, I, I believe in life, we overestimate what we can do with what we don't have. And we underestimate what we can do with what we do have. We do this all the time. Well, if I had this, I could do that. If I had these, I could get this done. All the while, we're missing out on what God wants to do through us with what we already have at our disposal. David's not changing the plan. David's not changing the scenario. David's not changing things up. He's saying, man, a, a, a stone and a sling was good enough for that bear, good enough for that lion. It's good enough for this giant. And there came a time in David's life where he had to put the stone and the sling down and he had to take up a sword and he never went back to the stone. But in this moment, God was trying to do something inside David. You ever realize that many times the battles that you're in is more about what God's trying to do in you than around you? That's powerful. You can look at any of these individuals in the word of God and you see the, the people that he picked and really a lot of what God was trying to accomplish wasn't even about what was going on around them. It was about what was going on inside of them. What is God trying to do in you in this season, in this battle, in this struggle? What's he trying to do in your heart? I mean, this is a great opportunity for offense from his dad, his brother, and his king. Some of the closest people in his life are coming against him when he honestly needs them the most. I've been playing the harp for you, King Saul, all this time, helping you out. And now I'm trying to fulfill what's on my life, what I feel God's directing and leading me to do. And where are you at? Telling me I'm not able. Telling, telling me what he's going to do to me. Eliab, dad. Yeah. yeah. I mean, have you ever noticed that? You're up against some of your greatest challenges and, and you feel like those that should be supporting you are on the wrong side. There's a line drawn in the sand, but they've taken opposing sides. That's where David's at right before he's about to have the greatest trial of his life, the greatest battle of his life. When we know from here, as we just read, David's victorious. David overcomes Goliath. David overcomes. David has victory, and not just his own personal victory. He brings victory for the entire nation of Israel. But I told you there were four battles. Because a lot of times we only recognize the battles leading up to the battles. I gave you three. I gave you dad. I gave you brother. I gave you King Saul. The last battle comes after the victory. Because sometimes, even after the victory, there's still tests and trials that come. And that's found in 1 Samuel chapter 18. He's gotten this victory for his nation, for his people. Starting in verse uh, 6, it says this. 1 Samuel chapter uh, 18. It says, when the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. And this was their song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. Now for the narcissistic and uh, 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 very internalized King Saul, that's not what you want to hear. Somebody else getting the victory when you're the king. Somebody else being celebrated. Somebody else uh, 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 being rejoiced and sung about. It says in verse 8, this made Saul very angry. What's this, he said. 
They credit, they credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands. Next, they'll be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. And we know that this really begins to spiral out of control. We know that King Saul becomes so erratic and so angry that he even tries to kill David, puts David on the run for 14 years, the king, the new promised anointed king. But this is what happens. Even after a victory. See, if the enemy can't keep you from experiencing victory, he'll keep you from enjoying it. He'll keep you from celebrating it. He'll keep you from. So now there's the battle after the battle. The battle is surrounded by battles. There were battles leading up to this battle. Now I'm having to run from my life. Now I'm having to run in terror from the very king that I just helped deliver this nation. I I mean, what can I do? (laughs) Even bringing victory. Even seeing God move, even seeing God do the impossible, even seeing God do the incredible, even seeing God do the insurmountable, even seeing God do, just as his word said, more than all I could ask or think. Even beyond that, there's still something else trying to take me out. But this is what you have to remember, that God's called you, God's assigned you. God's got a plan for your life. And that plan is not up to anybody else. Nobody can thwart the plan of God in your life. No one can remove you. No one can pull you. I I put it this way. The only ones that can get you out of God's will is him and you. Worship team, if you'd come. God's plan is not contingent on everybody else's obedience. God's plan is not contingent on everybody else's approval. God's plan is not contingent on everybody else's celebration. God's plan is not contingent upon everybody's affirmation. King David even ends up in a scenario while he's on the run. He's got his people with him, his 300 mighty men and and, and their families. And even there's a point where they turn on him. And it says, David had to encourage himself in the Lord. Choose your battles. Choose your battles. David chose, I'm not fighting against my father. Even though it seems like he might be devaluing and undermining my assignment and my purpose, giving me this menial little task. I'm not, I'm choosing not to fight Eliab. I'm choosing not to wage war. I'm choosing not to put all my effort on trying to salvage this relationship and trying to get him to understand and trying to get him to see that I'm the anointed one. I've been assigned by God. I can deliver. I'm not fighting against you. I'm not fighting, uh, 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 with you. I'm fighting for you. I'm not going to waste my effort and my energy fighting King Saul who ought to be supporting me, who ought to be uh, seeing the hand of God upon my life. I'm not going to allow that to rule. I'm not going to allow that to take over. I'm not going to allow that to drain me of my energy in my effort there's a bigger battle there's a greater purpose there's a bigger assignment there's a greater call on your life this morning and the enemy's working hard to distract you the enemy's working hard to keep you from ever walking out your purpose the enemy's working hard he's working diligently to get you off of your assignment No, I want you to know that there's victory. The outcome for you, 
you know how the story ends, but you have to allow the process to work. You have to allow the details to come into play. I know it's not as enjoyable as sinking a, a, a stone into the giant's head and cutting off his head. I know it's not enjoyable as people singing and celebrating your praises, but I'm here to tell you right now, if you can win the battles leading up to the battles, the battle is the Lord. You know, one of the greatest enemies that we face in our lives is ourselves. You've heard the statement, you are your own worst enemy. Sometimes you have to choose, I'm stepping out of the way. I'm getting out of my own way. I'm getting out of God's way. I'm staying with his plan. I'm staying focused on what he's called me to do. I'm not allowing others to get me off course. They can go to the right. They can go to the left. They can do whatever uh, they want to do. They can do it. I don't need their approval. I don't need them to celebrate me, slap me on the back, tell me thank you. I'm going to keep driving on with what God has assigned to me, what he's called me to do. God wants you victorious in every battle. God wants you victorious in every scenario. God has only good things for you. So Father, we come to you this morning acknowledging that there is a great assignment. There is a great purpose. There is greatness and destiny on the inside of every single one of us. But Father, we will not yield to the temptation from the enemy to fight battles that are not ours. To fight battles that don't demand our energy. We will not become distracted. We'll not become unfocused, but we'll stay attentive to what you have assigned us. There's a bigger picture. There's a greater battle. So we keep our heart right. We keep our mind right. We keep our posture right. So that we can be victorious when that day comes. We can be, we can see victory when the challenge arises. And we may not know now in the process, but one day we will know. One day we will look back and say, that's why I needed to save my energy. That's why I needed to put that battle aside. That's why I needed to withdraw from that fight. That's why I needed to come out of that. that I, I don't have time for that. I don't have energy for that. It, it cannot take my attention, my focus. There's a bigger battle ahead. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.